Imagine with me for just a moment. Imagine that, that you could walk away at the end of this hour with a, a valid check for $1 billion made out to you. Not just you, every single person in this room at the end of the hour, just imagine, and this is imagination, by the way, there are no checks printed and, and we don't have your name anyplace, and, uh, but just imagine it, at the end of this hour, every man, woman, and child here could walk away with $1 billion, and imagine it's, it would be my job to tell you how to get the billion dollars. And if that were true, I would have so much excitement thinking, you, you're about to be a billionaire, and so much gravity thinking, I have to get it right. Because if I don't, you might find where I live. <laughs> this is, there's so much at stake. And now there's no, there's no billion dollars today, but there's something of infinitely higher value and worth and gain every single man, woman, and child could leave this room with. Every man, woman, and child could leave with every single sin forgiven by the God of the universe. Every single one could leave with this intimate relationship with the God of the universe, no barriers between you and the God of the universe. Everyone could leave with a brand new life that Jesus says he makes life become the fullest life possible. Everyone could leave with that life, with the launch of that life. Everyone could leave with their eternal address reading heaven, this endless eternity uh, with God versus hell, this endless eternity without God. All that could be true, and it is, it actually is it is my job to tell you how to leave with that life. And many of you I know, you have that life, you know that. I hope you're going to listen because you have friends and family that don't yet know how to leave with that kind of life. Many of you here, you, you don't know. And, and I have thought and prayed, and I, I feel the, like the potential and the gravity of what's at stake. If there were a billion dollars, you would listen as never before, wouldn't you? You'd be on the edge of your seat. You'd be stealing a pen from someone to take notes about it. And, and this is bigger than that. And so uh, I will give you my very best clarity. And your job is, is to listen on the edge of your seat and understand and respond. The answer, I'll give you the short answer, which is accurate, but it will need understanding. The short answer is this. It is simply to believe in Jesus Christ. Or another way of saying it is to have faith in Jesus Christ. Or another way of saying it is to trust in Jesus Christ. That, that is the short answer. That's the way to do it. But, but the challenge is, is, one, is knowing what that means. Now, by the way, um, when you read an English translation of a Bible, you'll find uh, believe in Jesus, have faith in Jesus, trust Jesus. In every case, the original writing of the Bible was in Greek. In every case that you see those words translated, it comes from the same Greek word, pistuo. It comes from that same Greek word. And so when you read in Scripture, you should believe in Jesus or have faith or trust. It's the same thing. It's the same word. We just translate differently. Let me give you three examples of where you'll find that. I'm going to give you more passages from the Bible than usual because I want you to walk away knowing this is what God says. Not some guy on a stage. This is what God says. So here's the first one, John 3.16. It's got to be the most famous verse in America, doesn't it? Uh, I mean, football did that, if nothing else. Football did that to us. John 3.16, it says this. For God loved the world so much that he gave his one and only son, so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. The word is pistuo. You read the Greek, everyone, pistuo, everyone who believes in him has eternal life. Romans 3.22 translates pistuo differently. It says we're made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. And this is true for everyone who believes, no matter who we are. This same word, pistuo, placing our faith in Jesus Christ. One more, John 12, 46, Jesus would say, 
I have come as a light to shine in this dark world so that all who put their trust in me will no longer remain in the dark. Same word, pistio. Belief, faith, trust, all the same. Now, here's, here's the, here's the billion-dollar question. What does it mean to believe in, to have faith in, to trust? We use those terms fairly loosely. I can say honestly to you, I believe in the Constitution of the United States of America. I believe in it. But truth be told, I've only read a small part of it. I, I, I assume that the rest of it's good. I know it's big. I assume the rest of it's good. I, I, honestly, I don't think it affects the great majority of the details of my life. I know it gives this great framework. I'm thankful for it, but it doesn't touch most of my life. It's big, it's good, it's distant. Is that what it means to believe in Jesus? I believe in the Constitution. Is that what it means to believe in Jesus? He's good, he's big, he's distant. I could say, last year I had faith in the Houston Astros last year. <laughs> they had come off the 2015 season. They were, they were a young team, still a young team. They, they had made this uh, phenomenal playoff run. They, they barely lost to the eventual world champions. And so 2016 unfolds. I've been following the Astros for 50 years, 51 years to be precise. And I was convinced I had faith. 16 was the year. We would finally be world champions in my lifetime. It was the year I had deep faith in them. But the truth is, I only went to one game. I had all the faith. I only went to one game. I watched bits and pieces of others on TV. I usually picked up a box score on the next day, but that's all that I did. And truth be told, when, when my faith in them was unfounded, I didn't shed a single tear. Is that what it means to have faith in Jesus? Expect great things? Maybe I check the church box and I love going to church and everything. I expect great things. But he doesn't affect me very much because if it was proven that my faith was in him was unfounded, I wouldn't shed a tear. Is that what faith in Jesus means? Or I can honestly say I, I trust the local city council. Truth be told, I don't know one of them. And I can't think of a single way they've affected my life. There are probably some vague, fringe, nebulous ways, but I'll tell you this. If they ever affect my life in a negative way, the trust is gone. I mean, check them off. I vote somehow different next time then. Is that what it means to have trust in Jesus? I, I assume he's good and great, but if he ever does something in my life that I perceive as negative, that faith is gone, that trust is gone. Is that what it means? This is going to be key to us. This word, pistuo, that we translate belief, faith, and trust, it is crucial that we let the Bible interpret the Bible for us. It's crucial we let the, the author of the Bible, God, interpret this phrase, this pistio, this word for us. And, and, and we don't just guess on our own. I'll give you an analogy with it. Uh, some of us read A Tale of Two Cities by Charles Dickens, famous novel. We read, we read it because we had to in school. And it has this famous opening line, it was the best of times, it was the worst of times. What? What does that mean? <laughs> Isn't that an oxymoron? How can it be the best of times and the worst of times? We could read the opening line, close the novel, and then guess what Dickens meant. Or we can read the whole novel. He makes perfectly clear exactly what that line means. And so with Scripture, when, when God says, you, you can have this, this brand new stunning life by belief in Jesus, faith in Jesus, trust in Jesus. We have to have him tell us what that really means to believe, to have faith, to trust. Okay, so uh, I'm going to take four passages where Jesus speaks about this. There are so many more, but this is enough, and this is what time allows for. Matthew 7, 20 and 21, Jesus is speaking, and he's talking about uh, 
faith, belief, trust. Yes, just as you can identify a tree by its fruit, so you can identify people by their actions. Not everyone who calls out to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Only those who actually do the will of my Father in heaven will enter. He's already told us many places we, we know we enter heaven by faith in Jesus, or belief or trust, but now he's saying, he's saying only those who actually do the will of my Father. And this is what we'll see throughout. I'll, I'll give you a heads up on this. What he's saying here is, is that the faith that you have in me, he would say, needs to be so deep that it changes your behavior. It needs to be so deep in me that you'll actually obey me, you'll follow me. I give you some more verses around this. In John 10, 27, 28, he says, My sheep listen to my voice. I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life. They'll never perish. No one can snatch them away from me. He's saying they will follow me. That means he's the leader, right? And we're the follower. The leader gives directions. The leader sets the course, and the follower does what the leader says, correct? And he's speaking here about this is what faith looks like. This is what trust and belief looks like. He's saying... If you actually have that kind of faith in me, you actually will follow me. You actually will follow me if you have this biblical faith. Matthew 16, 24 to 26. Then Jesus said to his disciples, If any of you wants to be my follower, you must turn from your selfish ways, take up your cross, and follow me. If you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. If you give up your life for my sake, you will save it. What do you benefit if you gain the whole world but lose your own soul? Is anything worth more than your soul? This is what it looks like. He says, to turn from your selfish ways, take up your cross. In other words, die to, to your agenda. Die to your plan for life. Take up your cross and follow me. Again, he's saying this pistuo, this belief, faith, trust, this, it actually results. He's saying, you've given up your agenda and follow me. The term that I often think of and we often think of is, is this surrender. It's saying to him, I'm going to surrender leadership here to you. I give you one more of what Jesus says. John 3.36, he says, And anyone who believes in God's Son has eternal life. Crystal clear. Anyone who believes has eternal life. But then he goes on and says, Anyone who doesn't obey the Son will never experience eternal life but remains under God's angry judgment. We wouldn't expect that second line, would we? He says, anyone who believes has eternal life. You'd think he would say anyone who doesn't believe doesn't have eternal life, wouldn't we? But he doesn't say that. He says, if we believe we have eternal life, if we, if we don't obey, we'll never experience eternal life. It, he makes it sound like, almost like faith and obedience are the same thing, but that's not what he's saying when you look at all of Scripture. This is going to be really important to grasp this morning. Scripture says again and again, we are saved by faith in Jesus alone, or by belief alone, or by trust alone. One such passage is Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. God saved you by his grace when you believed. And you can't take credit for this. It's a gift from God. Salvation's not a reward for the good things we've done, so none of us can boast about it. It is, it is by faith alone, but it's the kind of faith, the faith that's so deep, believes in his goodness so deeply th that obedience is the out, the out product of it. It results in obedience because our faith is so deep and profound in him. I would give you an analogy. If I were to take my car and park it on a hill, 
which means I'm nowhere near here. It means I'm way off someplace else because there are no hills unless I'm on the freeway. I don't want to park there. If I park on a hill someplace, if I take the parking brake off and put it in neutral, what will happen to my car? Gravity will simply pull it downhill. That's just what happens. And Scripture says, and Jesus says, if you have biblical faith in me, if you have biblical faith, it will be so deep in me that your faith will just simply pull you into obedience. It will simply pull you into obedience. And James chapter 2, verses 14, 17, fleshes this out. What good is it, dear brothers and sisters, if you say you have faith, but don't show it by your actions? Can that kind of faith save anyone? I would say by, by that definition of faith, that definition of faith, can it save anyone? See? So you see, faith by itself isn't enough. Unless it produces good deeds, it's dead and useless. He's saying that biblical faith, the byproduct of it will be the good deeds will follow. We're not saved, we're not forgiven of our sins by faith and works. We're not. It's not by faith and good deeds, it's by faith alone, but it is, it's the kind of faith that, that says we, we long for you to be our leader, we long to follow you as well. I'll give you a couple of examples. Um, when I became a pastor, I realized that there's some different tax laws, income tax laws for pastors versus normal people. <laughs> So I guess we're abnormal, I guess. And so I, I, I read what the IRS says several times. If you've tried to read what the IRS says, uh, you probably won't understand. And I did not understand. So I found someone who had expertise in tax uh, instructions for pastors. And I, I, had, I had complete faith in this person. And I simply did what they said. Why? Because I had faith in them. I trusted. I've been doing the very same thing for, on my taxes for 20 years now. Based upon my ongoing faith in that person, the IRS has yet to come get me. Uh, but, but I simply did what they said because I trusted them. I had faith. I believed in their knowledge in this area. I'll give you another example. Suppose there were a meteorologist in the area that I had complete and total trust in. And suppose I go home this afternoon and he's on the news and he says there's a, a 90% chance that there'll be a level 5 hurricane that hits the Bay Area on Wednesday. I would hear that, and I would think, I know it's not hurricane season, but I have complete faith in this guy. What does complete faith do? We start packing the bags. Marie and I do the same. We start packing the bags. We load everything of value in our car, and then if there's more room, we throw the dog in on top of that. (laughs) I said that to keep you awake, all you dog lovers. I said that. The reality is that that Marie would load the dog in first, the valuables, and then if there's room, I would get to go too, and that's the reality of it. But it doesn't matter if it's hurricane season or not. If I, if I have deep, deep, full faith in this man, I pack the car. That's the kind of faith that the Bible talks about around Jesus. Let me give you a couple of definitions that would be helpful. Biblical faith is this, is, is trusting Jesus as Lord and Savior. It is saying to him, I, I place my trust, my faith, my belief in you as Lord, which means you are the one who is over me, and Savior, you're the one that forgives my sins. Another way of saying it, trusting Jesus to lead and forgive me. Saying, Jesus, I, I will trust you to lead my life. You're, you are now my leader. I trust you to lead me, and I trust you to forgive all my sins. Another way of saying it is, is surrendering leadership of my life to Jesus. Surrendering leadership of my life to Jesus. And so, so it's, it's not a casual transaction. It's not a casual prayer. It's, it's a prayer for a brand new life under brand new leadership. And Jesus would say, count the cost because, because everything is about to shift and change. Now, you see, if, if, he were, 
if he were simply saying, all you have to do is trust me to forgive your sins, why would he need to say count the cost? That's a no-brainer, right? If it's just forgiveness of sins, if that's all I have to do, trust, please, I trust you to forgive my sins, and, and you get that, why would he say count the cost? He says count the cost because, because it's a package deal. Faith is a package deal of, of forgiveness of sins and leadership. And he says, think this out very thoroughly because you're about to shift the leadership position in your life fr- from you to me. This is how the church has seen this from the first century um, down through time. In the book of Acts, which is where the first church is launched out of, they had deep appreciation, far more than we ever could, because many of them saw Jesus on the cross, and then they saw him risen from the dead. Deep appreciation that he was their Savior. He'd forgiven their sins. And, and they'd seen the price he paid. They could feel the love behind that, and they deeply valued the forgiveness of sins. They knew that launched life. But yet you read the book of Acts, and only three times does it refer to Jesus as Savior. It refers to him as Lord 92 times. He's both, but why the discrepancy? Please give me forgiveness. No-brainer. Please lead me. Then I have to have this sense that I'll be better off. I'll be better off with your leadership than mine. Please lead me. Down through the years, the church leaders, Augustine, saw it this way. Martin Luther saw it this way. John Calvin saw it this way. John Wesley saw it this way. A.W. Tozer saw it this way. It's only been in the last century, especially the last 50 years, that some have begun to say, you know, you can, you can pray and ask Jesus to be your Savior and forgive your sins, and he will. You don't have to ask him to be Lord. Now, you can later if you want, or if you never want, that's fine. He'll forgive you. He'll give you a new life. He'll give you heaven. Friends, that is not what God says in Scripture. There, there's no way... To reconcile the scriptures we've looked at today with that idea. There's no way to do that. It's, it, he, he's a package deal. He said, trust me to forgive you, and I will. Trust me to lead you, and I will. It's a package deal to, to lead and to forgive. Why, why would anyone give up leadership? It's a massive trade-up in leadership. It's a massive improvement in leadership. Because you see, Jesus has all knowledge, all knowledge, and you don't. He knows things about you you don't know about yourself. He knows what tomorrow will bring. You don't know that. He has all wisdom of how this should be lived out. You don't have that. He has all power. He can shape the circumstances of your day and your future. You don't have that power. You don't have that all power that he has. He, He loves you with infinite love more than you've ever loved yourself. He loves you. It's this massive trade up. When you recognize that, you make the trade up. There's a man named Theo Halma. He was born in Czechoslovakia when it was the former Soviet Union. So it's a com- the communist Soviet Union. And the Soviet Union was said to have this iron curtain. One of the reasons it was said to have this iron curtain was because so many of their citizens had such a deep struggle under the governance of the Soviet Union. They wanted to leave and go elsewhere. Especially as they would hear rumors of democracy, they wanted to leave and find democracy. So there was this iron curtain. They would not let their people leave. We talk about building a wall in America like they built walls for the other reason. And not to keep people out, to keep people from leaving. And so Theo Holloma, though, he had this skill set that, that on state business, he often went beyond the iron curtain 
on state business to the Western world where he saw democracy and particularly saw the United States democracy. And he began to have this conviction that life under the governance of the United States of America would be so much better than life under the governance of the Soviet Union. And he came to a point of this deep, profound belief in that and faith in that and trust in that. How do I know? Because after many, many months of planning, he actually, he, he took the step to attempt to defect. They were in the Western democracies of Europe, and they had the KGB-type people, and all were always with him, always watching. He found a way to slip out, and he was hopeful he could make it to the U.S. Embassy before they caught him. And he knew if he was caught, he knew it would be death or prison camp until he died. Yet he knew if he made it to the United States one day, he would never see his parents and his brothers and sisters again. But he, he believed so deeply that life under the governance of the United States would be better than life under the governance of the Soviet Union. He took the risk. And he made it to the U.S. Embassy, and with time he made it to the United States of America. And he became one of my wife's teachers at the University of Houston. He was teaching the Czech language, but I don't know if he ever got through an entire um, course period without pausing and saying, can I tell you how great America is? And he would go on and on about the wonders and the wonders of America. You could call his phone, which Marie did on different occasions. If he didn't pick up, his answer machine began by saying, it's a great day to be an American. He believed the governance of the United States would be better than the governance of the Soviet Union. I would agree with him. But that's child's play in the trade-up that comes with Jesus. It doesn't begin to touch the magnitude of the trade-up with Jesus. His leadership versus our leadership. How do you know if you've, if you've surrendered your life to Jesus, if you have this biblical faith? The people that I know look back on their life, and they recognize there was a time, there was a willful shift of authority in their life. There was, maybe they know the day, but they at least know the season. There was a willful shift where they said, I don't want to be in charge anymore. I want you to be in charge. And they know that. They can look back at it. They'll look, those of us that have done it will look back at our life. We'll see many failings. We'll be many times that we, we picked up leadership again. And, and, but, but the yearning of our heart began and continues to this day that leadership is with him. Leadership is with him. You recognize a change of attitude, a change of actions. Again, not that, not that we're without sin, but there's this shift of attitude, there's this shift of actions. I know there have got to be a number of you in the room that you're thinking about this and you're thinking, I've, I've never made that willful shift and said, I long for you to lead my life. But maybe you're thinking about a, a childhood conversion. Maybe you're thinking back to a special time when you were a child and, and you prayed an authentic prayer. And you said, Jesus, I want you to be my Savior. I place my faith in you. Or maybe you included Lord in that, which was a very good thing. But if you were a child, this is what was happening. You were borrowing the faith of probably your parents or maybe a trusted teacher. You deeply trusted your parents or the teacher or someone, and, and because of what they said, then you trusted Jesus. It was a very good thing. It's what God long to have happened with a child's life. But there comes a point in time when the child is growing up, and usually the teenage years, where a child begins to think it out on their own. And the child goes one of two directions. Either they just affirm and confirm that's who they want to be, that's how they want to live. And they have this growing understanding. They say to Jesus, what I began back when I continue at a deeper level, I, I long for you to lead my life going forward. Or 
set it aside and take over leadership and run from there. I was, I was eight years old. Um, authentic Christian family in church all the time. I was eight years old. I was in a service like this. And I authentically prayed a prayer of faith in Jesus. Very authentic about it. The tradition there was you, you walk down the aisle, walk down, all of that. The truth is, somewhere beginning teenage years, I began to really think out my life. And I thought, I am going to be captain of my ship. I'm going to make the decisions of my life. And I never stopped going to church. I was in church virtually every Sunday. I Actually, I continued reading the Bible quite often. And I actually chose a whole lot of the things that Jesus said to do. I would read them and I would look at them. And a lot of them I would say, yep, I'm going to adopt that one. I'll do that. And I did pretty good doing that. It became crystal clear to me, he wasn't Lord. I was Lord. I was saying, if what I like, I'll, I'll do what I like. And I was 30 years old, and I realized that's, that's not the way God created this planet. That's not the way he created humanity. Like there's one way of salvation. It's Jesus. And faith in him is so deep and so rich that faith includes not just faith he would forgive, which he does, but faith for him to lead as well. So if, if you are sitting there and you're thinking, there was this authentic prayer, and it, it was a good thing, it was what God wanted, but if you're thinking, I don't know that there was ever this shift of leadership to him. If you're sitting there thinking, I, right now, if you're thinking right now, I don't want him to lead my life now. If you think, I want to pick and choose, then I would say at very, very best, you're skating on very, very thin ice. If you were to come see me, I would say, I don't bank your eternity on that. Biblical faith is crystal clear. Trust him to lead and trust him to forgive. Again, why would you do it? There's no bigger leadership trade-up you'll ever know. The perfect one, the perfect one leading your life versus you, the very imperfect one doing it. It's the massive leadership gain in one's life. A number of you in this room, you, you know what this life is like already. A number of you don't. So I want to pray. I want to start my, my prayer to begin to close this. And I'm going to pray a little differently than I usually do. When I start praying, I'm going to be praying uh, with and for and on behalf of those of you that until now don't have biblical faith. Until now haven't asked him to be your leader and your savior of your life. And when I pray, I'm going to pray what, what I, I hope you might want to pray and echo silently in your heart as well. And so I'll pray a sentence and I'll pause. And if that's what you long for, then you do the same in your own mind, from your own heart and mind to God. You do that. Uh, and, and then I'll shift and begin to pray for all of us beyond that. So let's all bow our heads. And again, let me begin praying with those of you in mind that until this moment haven't asked Jesus to lead and forgive. And if that's you, then this is what I would hope you would pray. Lord, I'm a sinner who desperately needs your forgiveness and leadership. Today, I'm placing my full faith, my full belief, my full trust in you, Jesus. I'm trusting you to forgive all my sins. I'm trusting in you to lead my life. I surrender leadership of my life to you. Thank you for hearing and accepting my prayer. Thank you for the gift of a new life 
that's begun now that will never end. Let me pause for us still. Eyes closed, please, eyes closed. I want to know who I'm praying for next. And so if, if you have, first time you've prayed that prayer and you meant it, would you raise your hand? Uh, I'll get to see who you are and where you are. If you would raise your hand, that that's the prayer you've prayed. Like today's the day. Today's the day. Father in heaven, I'm reflecting back with these people in mind for today's day. I'm reflecting back on that day long ago when your son Jesus was on the cross. And at the very end, he prayed, it's finished. It is finished. And he was saying that the cross is the final word about our sin problem. He was saying it's because of the cross, because of his death on the cross, that we could know complete and total forgiveness. It was because of his resurrection we could have life with him now and he could lead us now. And so, Father, there are some who raise their hands. This is the day uh, a brand new life has begun. They haven't actually done anything other than place their faith, their belief, their trust in your son, Jesus. But they've done it in this profound way that will now begin to change everything. May they sense in their heart and spirit the authenticity of Jesus' death and resurrection for them. May they may sense your smile that this is a new day, a new life, a new eternity for them. Father, all of us here that now have this new life, some for a few moments, some for a long, long time, we will never get over the wonder of your love as the Father who would send His Son. We'll never get over the wonder of the love of your Son, Jesus, to love us this much. And then to to beat death and beat sin and beat hell and to win for us a brand new life and relationship with you and total forgiveness in heaven one day. And so may we reflect upon that and may we celebrate that this day in Jesus' name, amen.